Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you on this bright and sunny Father's Day. Anyway, it's good to have you here. Uh, one of the things that we've made a very concerted effort uh, to be as a church is a praying church, and we obviously live that out in a lot of different ways, including Thursday nights praying together uh, at our prayer time and turning the prayer cards in and praying for each other all during the week. But also we've turned our, our personal celebration of Mother's Day and Father's Day into special times of prayer. And so we're going to do that again today. So uh, if there are any fathers in the room, I would love for you to stand right now. All the dads in the room. There you go. Awesome. All right, you can clap for them. That's great. And just so you know, I'm totally okay with us being a clapping church as well, okay? We're fine with that. For the right reasons, of course. So let's, uh, let's honor these men uh, in prayer. And so let's bow our heads together and uh, just lift them to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for the gift of fathers. We praise you for the fathers who are spiritually leading and investing in their children, no matter what age they are. Lord, we pray for protection. We pray for protection from the work of the enemy in their homes and in their lives, wherever they go, the enemy is against them. We pray that you give these men wisdom, insight, for every situation that comes their way. Lord, we, we ask that these men know that they are valued and they are seen and that we pray for them to be continually filled with your spirit. Lord, we pray that they would be men of integrity that model you in everything that they do and say. And in that, Lord, give them patience, compassion, mercy. Lord, we pray for those men who are fathers of those by adoption. Not biological fathers, but have stepped up into someone's life as a father. Bless them as well. Help them in that very special role. Guide them with your spirit to make decisions that would honor and point to you. Lord, we have fathers that also have regrets. Help them to look to you, to humbly ask for, for forgiveness, but live in the present, work towards the future in glorifying you and everything going forward. And Lord, we pray for fathers who have lost children. Lord, may we come alongside of them to mourn and to grieve, but to know that they are safely in your arms. Lord, we know that Deuteronomy chapter 6 reminds us that fathers are to be actively sharing your gospel to their children every day. Lord, your word is important in the home, 
We pray that the Father's present will hide your word in their hearts. We pray that they would share these truths with their children, once again, of all ages. We pray that they would regularly model faith and teach the gospel in their homes. Lord, your word says in Psalm 127, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Your word says like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Lord, you tell us that fatherhood is a heritage and a reward from you. Lord, you tell us that children are a blessing and a joy to have in life. So, Lord, help these fathers remember that this role comes with amazing responsibility and only can be fulfilled with your guidance and direction. And, Lord, we thank you for the fact that so many blessings come from that as well. So, Lord, we lift up these fathers today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for standing and letting us pray for you during this time. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm just going to be real real with you. If you're visiting with us today, you won't get this, but let's let you know. It's really weird for me not to say turn to Isaiah, (laughs) considering everything. So Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. So if you take your Bibles out and jump in there uh, with me. Ephesians 5, we're going to actually probably start in verse 14. I know it says 15 through 17 in uh, your outlines there, but uh, we will definitely be looking at 14 first to give us a runway into our section of Scripture. The next three weeks, including today, so today and the next two weeks, we're, we're looking in a very short series at, at key sections of Scripture that talk about the, the time that God has given us and the talent that God has given us and the treasures that God has given us and, and how He wants us to use that for Him and for His glory. And uh, that's something that we need to be reminded of all of the time. I, I was reminded of it last night. <laughs> A very, very interesting time uh, dealing with time. Uh, late, early in the evening, uh, Jenny and I went down to, we have this pool in our, in our area, and we went down to the pool, and uh, she started the, the van, and it barely started. And I was, and I, I never drive the thing. And so I was like, has that been happening? She's, oh yeah, I meant to tell you that. <laughs> And I'm like, well, we probably need to deal with that. And the fact that the lights are only on like halfway probably means that the battery's toast. And so we we get done swimming, all that type of stuff. And I was like, hey, let's let's get down there. I'll run down to AutoZone and get it. I've changed the battery in that van like 8 million times. So I knew not a big deal. Just go down there, get, get the battery, come back, put it in. By the way, guys, the joys of being a father and a husband and all of that, right? This is just the way it is. And so you go down there, and I go down there, and I get the the battery, put it in the trunk, and lo and behold, Zach, of all people, is walking by, 
uh, with loads of groceries that he walked from to the Aldi's there uh, to where the, he lives at the school. And I was like, hey, do you want to ride back? And he's like, yeah, that'd probably be wise. And so we load Zach up, I load Zach up, take him over to where he's living for the summer, and then uh, drive back. And so get that, and you know, have you noticed time's starting to tick away a little bit? Okay. So we get, we get there, I get there, and Jenny was like, hey, I need to run down to the store and get something for tomorrow. So l- let me take the other car that I was just driving, and uh, we'll, we got it all synced up. The timing's perfect, right? So she, she zips off, and I start, you know, I take the, take the battery, put, put the battery in, and, and I notice, oh, the terminals aren't right. This is the wrong battery. Now, mind, mind you that I know for a fact it wasn't my fault. Right? I'm just going to say that right now. It could never be my fault. And so I, I'm like, Oh, well, I'm going to have to go back down there, get another battery, no big deal, get, go back down there. This is the first time I checked what time it was. Okay, so I checked the time. It is now 8.30. AutoZone closes at 9, which would have been fine if my car wasn't at Trader Joe's <laughs> with Jenny. Now, you can ask her later, that's not usually a 10-minute shopping trip. Okay. I was like, now we got a problem. Time is not on my side. So I called Jenny, and of course, first phone call, nothing, no one there. Call a second time. She picks the phone up. She's like, hey, what's, what's going on? What do you need? And I was like, I need you to come home now. She said, what's wrong? I was like, well, the battery is the wrong battery. I need to take it back down to AutoZone. And if when you get here, Trader Joe's is 10 minutes away. And if you get here right now in 10 minutes, I will have approximately three minutes before they close to swap the battery out. But we're not cutting it close at all. Now, Jenny knows at that point, I'm kind of a task-oriented guy. So it's like, okay, she just she doesn't even go to, she drops whatever she had. She drives back up. She gets back up there. And I'm like, I've got the timer on at this point. And I'm like, I got to get back down there because if I don't get down there, I'm not going to get the battery done. And then she's going to have a problem getting to church tomorrow. And it's going to be a mess. Get down there with like six minutes to spare. And I'm doing the happy dance. You know, I'm, I'm set. Get back home, put everything in, it's all great. But time was passing. And everything seemed dandy and fine until time seems like it's ticking away. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, 
a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Time's always ticking. Spurgeon said this, Never fear dying, beloved. Dying is the last but the least matter that a Christian has to be anxious about. Fear living. That is a hard battle to fight. A stern discipline to endure. A rough voyage to undergo. It is incredibly difficult to make wise decisions about our time. Let's talk about time today. The, dis- the discipled, disciplined use of time. Time management God's way. And here's, here's a simple fact, everyone, as we get ready to dive into Ephesians 5.14. The simple fact here is that godliness is the result of a disciplined spiritual life. And at the heart of the disciplined spiritual life is the disciplined use of time. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we must use our time in a way that is pleasing to God. And we have to start everything in the understanding of the framework that as a believer, this is a new day for us. That this is a dawning of a new day. When you think of it, this new day and the light coming up, Paul presents this picture in Ephesians 5, 14. He says, for this reason, it says, awake sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And he had the same image in Romans 13, verses 11 through 13, and when Paul says this, and do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. That resurrection Sunday morning when Christ arose from the dead was the dawning of a new day for this world. Amen? Christians are like that when we accept the Lord, when we walk in Him. It is the dawning of a new day. We are not sleeping in sin any longer. We are no longer sleeping in death. We have been raised from the dead through faith in Christ. The darkness of the graveyard is past, and we are now walking in the light of salvation. Salvation is the beginning of the new day. And we ought to live as those who belong to the light, not to the darkness. See, the the believer has no business, as it says here, of living in darkness. We are saints, which means that we are a partaker of the inheritance 
of the saints in light, as it says in Colossians 1, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, who rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son of His love. Christ is King, amen? And because He has delivered us from the power of darkness, we have been transplanted into his kingdom the kingdom of his dear son and he is the light and that's where paul is going here awake sleeper and arise from the dead and christ will shine on you and then that transitional phrase therefore in verse 15 if, we, if this is the new day, if this is God now in us, we are alive in Christ, boom, therefore, look carefully. Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. There's a word that we don't use much anymore. Maybe some of you don't use it at all or may not even know the word circumspect. It's what you're doing when you look at this section of Scripture. Circumspect is a combination of two Latin words which simply mean looking around. Looking around. Therefore, look carefully. This, this Greek word carries the idea of looking around. Uh, it's, it's precision. It's, it's accuracy. See that you walk carefully with exactness is the meaning here. It's the opposite of walking around carelessly and without proper guidance and forethought. We cannot leave our lives as believers to chance. We must make wise decisions. And we need to seek to do the will of God in all things. And that's what is happening here in 14 and 15. Paul is saying, don't walk in your sleep. Wake up. Wake up. Open your eyes. Make the most of every day. And so when we say we're going to talk about time, talent, and treasure over these weeks, this time aspect has to do with the fact that so it's so, so easy, and I really believe it's, it's the attack of Satan in our lives. It is so easy to drift through life. It's, it's sad to see so many people who profess to be Christians sleepwalking, who never make the most of the opportunity to live for Christ and serve him. And Paul presented several reasons why we need to have an accurate and careful, diligent walk in the Lord. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. That's verse 15. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. On account of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the first thing that we see there 
It says, therefore, look carefully on how you walk. That's the precision, walking in him, walking in the light, awake sleeper, you are now alive in Christ, not as unwise. What's the opposite of unwise? It doesn't take a genius to figure that one out. Wise. Wisdom. See, this is a mark of wisdom in living our life, using our time correctly. Not as unwise, but as wise. Only a fool drifts with the wind and the tide. A wise man marks out his course, sets his sails, guides the rudder until he reaches the destination. When, when a person wants to build a house, they draw up the plans first, right? So they know what they're doing. Yet many people, many Christians today plan their days. Okay, maybe they don't plan their days at all. And, and, and I hear people, I know immediately someone that knows their scripture well enough and doesn't like to talk about the use of time and the correct use of time, they're going to always pound back at you James chapter 4. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that. Because some, they're going to pound back at you. But you know, James says in verse 13, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. It goes on and on. And so what they do is they... they they don't go to the last part, which we'll look at a little bit there in verse 15, 16, and 17. They go to this first part and say, hey, don't worry about planning. Don't worry about planning. I will tell you the truth. Many of my plans never come to fruition because people get involved. Right? That just happens. I mean, this last week, I had a spectacular, spectacularly planned day. I, I was, I was going to get my sermon done. I was going to do some training for people uh, to train the children, uh, to, to be able to train children in, in, in the Lord and share the gospel with them. And, and I was going to have, I had at least seven phone calls planned. And, and I mean, my day was boom, 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 and it looked awesome on paper. And then life happens. And so I get it. But I will tell you, a planned life can deal better with unexpected events than an unplanned life. There's an old saying, when the pilot doesn't know what port he's heading for, no wind is the right wind. We have to be wise with time. We have to mark it out. Yes, you should say, as it says in verse 15 of James 4, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and that. Yes, but even what, what is James doing still there? It's like the, it's okay to plan. But allow God to change the plan, if necessary. First thing, mark of wisdom. We move on 
not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. You see that in verse 16. Some other translations will say the word opportunity there. Buying up the opportunity. Taking advantage of it. Redeeming it. The word opportunity comes from Latin, which means towards the port. Once again, everyone, towards the port. The picture here is a ship taking advantage of the wind and tide to arrive safely in harbor. The brevity of life is strong, isn't it? For those of you who may have lived a little longer than some of the rest of us, you probably go, time flies by right? You go, where has the time gone? And I'm not saying everyone regrets it, but the brevity of life is a strong argument for making the best use of the opportunities God gives us. There is a Christian song from the 90s, 1990s, that says this about time. You got a gift, you best start using it. Because if you don't, you're going to wind up losing it. Just like the brother who buried it deep, the task was simple, but the price was steep. We've got a mission while we're here on earth. We need to tell people about our second birth. Why would Paul say to us, awake sleeper, be alive in Christ, Live, live the correct way in him. I mean, this is all in context if you read chapter 5 at the beginning of being imitating God, being imitators of God in our life. Being careful how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. This is a spiritual issue. Time is a spiritual issue. It is. The days are evil. In Paul's time, that meant what was going on was the Roman persecution was on its way. It probably already had started, but it was definitely on its way. Peter talks about that later in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19, where Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you are sharing the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Did you catch what he did there in verse 15? Incorrect use of time. Murderer, thief, evildoer, troublesome meddler. Correct use of time. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be put to shame, but is 
to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God must entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing good. Doing good. What, what does it mean to do good? Well, it means to take advantage of the opportunity, the time given us to share Christ in everything that we do say and who we are. It's foolish to waste opportunities to win the lost when those opportunities, as we see here in, in 1 Peter even, are going to vanish at times because the culture presses in and persecutes. If these days that Paul is writing about were evil, what would you characterize the days today? I, I would say it's evil. There's evil all around us. So God has given us a framework here. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Verse 17, on account of this, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. One of the key words there is that word understand. Understand in this context means using our minds to discover and do the will of God. God has given us a mind to understand His will. Too many Christians today have the idea that discovering God's will is some sort of mystical experience that rules out clear thinking. But that is wrong. That is dangerous. We discover the will of God as He transforms our mind, as it says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I exalt you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what the will of God is, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Being transformed in God's mindset, being an imitator of God, That transformation happens as a result of being in God's word, prayer, meditation, worship. If I had I had this prof, I I loved him, preaching prof in, in Bible college. And I remember one time this this guy, fellow classmate, I mean, and we were all well, we were all incredibly mature 20 year olds. Our first preaching classes, and he, 
he gets up there and it was obvious he spent maybe four milliseconds preparing for his 15-minute sermon. So he gets up there and, I, I mean, to this day, I will never forget this exchange. He gets up there and says some sort of word salad that made absolutely no sense. And he figured if he got God or the Holy Spirit and Jesus in there and something about salvation, all was well. And I remember our professor, Prof. Doug Dickey was his name, neat, neat guy. Dr. Dickey was looking at him and he was like, son, how long did you prepare for that? And he looked, well, he, he shot back at him. Well, I just, I feel like God wants me to just listen to his thoughts and will come into me. And it, it just made no sense. He was like, you know, I just, I just want to just feel God's presence and, and I'll say the right things. I thought laser beams were going to come out of his eyes, our prof. He said, son, did God give you a brain? <laughs> he always used the word son. Son, and you knew you were in trouble when he was calling you son. Son, did, you give, did God give you a brain? He was all, yes. He said, next time I'd appreciate if you'd use it. See, God does expect us to have a transformed mind. And that means learning. That means involving ourselves in the facts of God's word, examining them, weighing them, praying for wisdom on how to interact with them within the culture that we are in. Or otherwise, why would James say in verse 5 of chapter 1 of that incredible book, but if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God doesn't simply want us to know his will. He wants us to understand his will. He wants us to exercise our brains in understanding his word and being transformed in that. He's given us a mind to figure this out. Verse 17, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord. That means God has a plan. God has a plan for our lives. Now, in Ephesians 2, 10, Paul explains... We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You just catch what our purpose is? God has a purpose for my life and I discover that purpose by being guided by him through his word, through the Holy Spirit working in my life. He reveals his plan through his word. Paul says in Colossians 1, we haven't ceased praying for you to ask 
that you may be filled with the full knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and multiplying in the full knowledge of God. In Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. Be thankful, Romans 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Guess what? Our purpose is to live for him in all things. Whatever happens, whatever door God has opened in our lives, he says, according to my word, live according to who I'm supposed to be and do those things. The Christian can walk carefully and accurately because we know what God wants us to do in all things. And we've talked about this situationally in a lot of different ways. How do we use our time then? Well, in all things, I live for him. We accomplish what the architect has planned. The architect is God. And it is amazing what happens. Last night at 8.57 p.m., I show up at AutoZone with a battery that doesn't match my car. And the gentleman was outside waiting for me. And he was like, I am so sorry. And this, you know, it, it, I pulled it from the right thing. Someone stocked it wrong. And, I, we're, you know, I'm just glad you got here before we left and blah, blah, blah. I'm so, so sorry. And you know what? It was one of those things where I was like, I actually have an opportunity here. I was like, you know what? We all make mistakes. But by God's grace, uh, we have one that's given us life, even though we have made mistakes. And he's like, oh, you're a Christian. I was like, okay, I get it, God. I, I'm supposed to just live how you want me to live, minute by minute. See, the applications of this are pretty simple, everyone. First of all, if you want to write these down, you can. Application number one, look carefully, as it says here, on how you walk. Look carefully for the best use of the time God has given you. Let me ask you, how are you using time? Are you more interested in trivial earthly pursuits or eternal heavenly pursuits? Do you, do you spend so much time in other stuff that you have no time for God? Are you more interested in catching up on your favorite TV, movie program, video, blah, 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 or spending time in prayer in God's word? It's very simple, and I know this stuff is kind of like produces a little bit of guilt in life, but... You know, it doesn't take much to put on paper, this is how much I, time I spent this week in watching movies, and this is how much time I spent this week in God's Word. 
And it does tell you how you spend your time. You know, and it, so, you know, for me, how many baseball games did I watch this week? How much time did I spend in prayer in God's Word? And I love baseball because I can go to baseball and it's so boring that I can spend time in God's Word while I'm there. <laughs> Sorry. But, but you get where I'm at, right? We, we got to constantly be thinking about how we are walking. Do we spend more time doing whatever? I will tell you, the tool of Satan in, in our culture today is, is social media. And I'm, I'm not bagging on it just because everyone else likes to bag on it. But you realize how easy it is to go down the junk hole of wasting your time watching 15-second reel after 15-second reel after... And you look up and, and three hours later, you've watched everything known on the planet that it doesn't matter. Look, there's 700 different ways to have a car accident. Just, you know, I have just blown a massive amount of time. You see how it works? So take time this week to examine your life carefully and answer the question, am I using time according to God's ways? Wise, not unwise. Glorifying Him. You see, then too, that leads to the fact that we need to be praying for wisdom then, as it says here, to walk in wisdom, not being unwise. We need to pray for wisdom to seek the best use of time. Get off by yourself sometime and ask God to bless you with wisdom as you seek to use your time for His glory. Then set your time that He has given you, set the priorities for the best use of that time. After you've looked at how you are using the time and praying for wisdom and understanding his word, it's time to determine what the priorities need to be. Yes, there is time to rest that is needed. There is time for recreation. There's time for all of that. Family time, career time, so much more. But all of those things can be done for his glory if you redeem the time the opportunities given. But we see in Scripture that the people of God haven't always set the right priorities. I was reminded, you know, we talked, walked through the book of Isaiah, and after the captivity, the Babylonian captivity, the Jewish people returned, and what was interesting is that if you look in the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verse 9, you'll see that they neglected something. They, they, they started rebuilding their homes, but they neglected rebuilding the Lord's temple. And God told them in Haggai, verse 9, chapter 1, my house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. 
God's like, uh, priorities. And Haggai spoke to the people, and the people obeyed. It says actually in verse 12, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and they got busy rebuilding the temple. Serving God needs to be our highest priority. Now, I'm going to be very careful in how I say that because many of you who've been believers for a while go, aha, this is the point where he says we need to spend more time at church. And that's actually not what I'm talking about. This does not mean that we should be doing a ton of church programs. Actually, a plethora of church programs raises the busyness into a church but lowers the confidence in what is offered. If everything is the most important thing, every program is the most important thing, nothing really ends up being important. All the activities that you can possibly do can pull people away from what God actually wants them to be doing. From building relationships with people that do not know the Lord, from pulling away from failing, pulling away from living on mission in the world around them, activity does not actually equate to transformation in every sense. In fact, it often can mask the lack of transformation. I, 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 I hear churches that have like 22 different electives that you could do. And the electives include Fishing, and just, I mean, we go down the list, knitting, and, and are, are any of those bad? No. I mean, fishing is, I mean, we're called to be fishers of men, I, I'm, I'm sorry. But, you know, no, not, but what it is, though, is that you can do a lot of, hey, we, we can do a lot of different things, but are we actually doing what God wants us to do? See, we, we're actually called, in the book of Acts, if you want to see what churches are called to do, read Acts chapter 2. We're called to worship together, study the Bible together, fellowship together, pray for one another, serve one another. It's pretty basic, but it's so important. But don't think potentially four hours at church define using your time well each week. Because what, what about, you see, when the rubber hits the road, what we need to be is people that, I mean, this may be completely opposite of who you are, but this is who they were in Scripture. They were inviting people over to their houses and praying with each other. Having, you know, in our context, having coffee together and praying for each other. Having dinner together. Serve God, as Spurgeon says, serve God by doing common actions in a heavenly spirit. Serve God by doing common actions in a heavenly spirit. And then, he goes on to say, if your daily calling only leaves you cracks and crevices of time, 
fill that up with more holy service. There's a great book on spiritual disciplines and talks about the use of time and really comes down to 11 great uses of time as believers. Bible intake, number one. Prayer, number two. Worship, number three. Evangelism, number four. Serving each other, number five. Stewardship, number six. Fasting, number seven. Silence and solitude, number eight. Journaling, number nine. Learning, number 10. Perseverance in the disciplines overall, number 11. Those are all spiritual disciplines that are seen in Scripture. Are you, are you spending your, is, is the grid working there in your life? What, what is the priority that takes up your time? And is that priority in concert with Scripture where God wants it to be? So we, we need to set our priorities, the best use of time. Number four here, understand why you need the best use of your time to happen. Understand, Paul says, you need to understand we make the best use of our time because these days are evil. The world's an evil place. And your days are numbered. You need to use time wisely. You need to be a good steward of time. You know, we don't know how much time we have, do we? Someone in this room could, in theory, be dead by this afternoon. Kind of blunt, don't want to think about it. But that's the truth, right? What does James say? Your life is a vapor. We're here for a little while, vanishes away in that context. James says, though, whoever knows the right thing and to do and fails to do it, that for him is a sin. If you keep that section of scripture in context, James is saying that you need to do the right thing because life is short. It's so very short. We need to use our time wisely. Yes, there are many different ways to use time. Now, I, I do want to circle back in one thing as we finish here. The world is turning the temperature up on Christians. Can you feel that? The persecution, and we talk about that a lot around here. And the reason we talk about that a lot is that as a shepherd, as someone that God has called to guide and direct his people underneath his leadership in this area, we, the days are evil. And we have to, we have to understand that. And he's given us this group of people, this body of believers, whoever becomes a part of West Hills Church in specific here, this is family. And this family needs to spend time together. Not just in here, 
not in just programs, as we heard, but we need to do life together. Why? Because we are on mission for Him. We're called to go into all the world and share the gospel. We're called to take care of each other, brothers and sisters. We're called to, to guide and direct. We're called to reproof, rebuke, and those things that, that people don't like in our culture. And, I, and I'm going to be honest with you in this one. I actually like it when fellow believers come and in humble in a humble spirit say, hey, I, I didn't understand this, or I, maybe you got it a little bit wrong and didn't communicate it right, or, or maybe you were wrong, and, and banter back and forth. That, that's the iron sharpens iron type of thing that needs to happen because we need to be iron. We need to be sharp in this culture we need we need to we can't be blunt and just kind of because this this culture will eat your lunch if you're not on point and, and that's doing life together and that's and that's working with each other and, and going Man, our life is short. Our time is like vapor here. Uh, we need to use the time wisely. We need to live for Him. We need to serve others. We need to serve Him in serving others. We need to be imitators of Christ. Awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is in all things. Give glory to Him. And everything that you say and do, do it for Him and your path will be on the right path. Amen? And next week, Daniel is going to pivot us into the specifics of some of the talents that God has given us and how those can be used to serve Him in so many different ways. And then the next week, we're going to go, okay, one of the things that people don't like talking about is money. But isn't it interesting, what are two of the things that Jesus talked about the most? One was hell. Why? Because they didn't want anyone to go there. And he wanted people to understand what the path of their lives are going to be like without him. But the other was money. Because it is in our culture now, as it was in the culture then, it is a clear and visible statement on what priorities are and how you live. And so we got to get all of this in sync 
in living for him. Amen? And so that's what we're going to do the next two weeks. So this week is a evaluate where you are and where the time's going and what, what are you doing with your time according to God's word, okay? And then we'll keep moving from there. Invite your friends to be with us and uh, we'll keep moving on with that. And then, of course, in just a few short weeks, we're going to be jumping into 1 Corinthians and going through the whole book together. Uh, let's stand together.